I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, our text for today will be verses 10 through 20. Uh, we continue a series called A Peculiar People, and today we're going to be looking at what we're calling a peculiar battle. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Uh, we're going to pick right up there in verse 10. This is the end of this letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. Um, and this is what we hear him write, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation the sword, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for inspiring it for the benefit and good and sanctification of your people. Father, we thank you that in it we have truth, that we are given everything that we need for life and godliness. So Lord, would you instruct us today? Would you equip us today? Would you help us by your grace for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. On September 30th, 1938, British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain stepped from an airplane after a visit from Germany with a piece of paper in his hand that he held out for the crowd to see. And on that piece of paper were his signature and the signature of Adolf Hitler promising that despite Nazi aggression there, that, that was threatening to shatter the peace of Europe, Britain and Germany would never go to war with one another ever again. It was a reassuring document the newspapers lauded Chamberlain without hesitation. The king of England declared him heroic in the pursuit of peace. But not everybody saw it that way. A man by the name of Winston Churchill believed that though Chamberlain's agreement with Hitler provided the electorate with what they wanted, the appearance of a guarantee of peace that nevertheless failed to adequately prepare the populace for what Churchill believed was an inevitable conflict. And we know the rest is history, as we could say. Well, in a similar way this morning, this is what we find here in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is seeking to prepare believers for reality in a fallen world. Not a false document, that has the appearance of something good, but in reality doesn't, doesn't hold true. Now, Paul is writing, inspired by the Spirit, to 
properly prepare and properly equip the Christian for the reality of a true conflict that does indeed exist. The past few weeks, we've looked at a variety of different things that set us out as distinct as God's people in this world. Think about the unity that we looked at, that we're called to unity, the mission that we're called to engage in, and gospel proclamation, the calling that we have to love our neighbor faithfully. And yet there is a lot in this world that seeks to threaten these things. There's a lot in the world that, that seeks to undo and threaten and compromise unity and love for neighbor and the mission to which we've been called to as Christians. We know that we live in a very polarizing age. Division is everywhere. And sadly, the church is not immune. We're divided even among ourselves over a host of things. And one of the things that I've just continued to observe over the months, and, and it's somewhat true since sin entered the world, right, in Genesis 3, but even over these months and, and years, just the hostility, the hostility and tension among Christians that exists over a number of things. All you have to do is take a quick stroll through social media where we, as Christians even, just drop our opinions about everything, rarely without thinking how it might impact another Christian. We just spew our opinions, not thinking once about how what we just said may be taken completely differently, and we've, we've just continued to foster this, this division. We're not showing unity. We're not showing love. We're not showing that we truly value the gospel above all else. And friends, we can point to a lot of reasons why that kind of division takes place. There's a lot of reasons, right? We, we often talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil. All of these realities that we encounter in a given world, our own sinful hearts, the reality that we live in a fallen sinful world, and there's all of these things that are just going to be until Jesus comes again. It's true. But today I want us to consider it from a perspective that maybe I'm wrong, but I think that very few of us think about. And it's the perspective that we are at war. That we're at war. And it's a war that has spanned the course of human history and will not come to an end until Jesus comes again. But the fact of the matter is, is that we as a people, as God's people living in a fallen and sinful and broken world are indeed engaged in war. And so if we are going to live as God's people distinct in this world, a people living in unity, a people focused on the mission that God has given us, a people who love our neighbors well, then we need to be prepared in a number of ways. But one of those ways is to be prepared as a people who are engaged in combat, properly understood and properly equipped. So, that being said, I want us to look at two things this text calls us, two, two broad things. There's a lot of other things in those two things. Uh, we we say two points or three points. It's just preacher's way of, of assuring you it's not going to take a long time, right? 
but there's a lot in this passage. So two big points with a lot of things in between and underneath those big points. So two things to, to take away that this text calls us to with that understanding that we are in fact in a war, that we are facing the reality of warfare. First of all, we see a call to awareness, a call to awareness. The first step to what Paul is calling us to here, that the Lord through Paul is calling us to here, being strong in the Lord, putting on the whole armor of God as he's talking about these things is the fact that we are indeed in war. And very few of us think about that on a daily basis. Very few of us, I'm speaking for myself, maybe it's just me, but very few of us think on a regular basis that we are in combat and that we are in the midst of a, of a war. Several things that we need to understand about it. First of all, we need to understand the nature of this war, the nature of this war. Paul clarifies for that, uh, clarifies for us that right here in this text, it's a spiritual war. Notice what he says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against what? The schemes of the devil. Why? Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, Paul calls believers here to be strong in the Lord, to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? Stand against the schemes or better translated maybe methods of the devil. Schemes is where we the same word method from. And Satan has many methods, many schemes that he employs against the people of God. Paul furthers this point when he says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, that, that the war we're engaged in is a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual war. And friends, it's just good to be reminded in the midst of a divided age, in the midst of, of, of a fallen and broken world, that our true enemy is not flesh and blood. I know it often feels that way. I know it often sounds that way. I know it often looks that way. But our ultimate enemy is not a physical, or as far as human goes. It's not other people. It's not flesh and blood. It is spiritual. The fact that we do have a true enemy. Think about that when someone may disagree with us or push back. Our response is typically to direct our aggression back at them, often in ungodly ways. One pastor put it this way, our greatest enemy is not the world we see, corrupt and as wicked as it is, but the world we cannot see. Our greatest enemy is not the world we see, but the world that we cannot see. And friends, I think this is so helpful just to, to be aware of, to be reminded of that whenever we are engaged in conflict, whether it's personal conflict or whether it's relational conflict or whether whatever the case may be, the nature of the conflict, it is helpful to be reminded that the nature of this war that we're engaged in is a spiritual war. 
one of Satan's most effective strategies. And thus a great danger to all believers is the delusion that no serious threat exists in the supernatural realm. I think here in the West that we are often buying right into that. We don't think about the, the battles we face on a daily basis as spiritual warfare, when in fact it truly is. We don't think about the conflicts that we have, the, the struggles that we have as a spiritual battle. At least if we do, it's not where we begin. We don't initially think that. that. Friends, we need to understand that in our own lives personally and also relationally, how we relate to other people who we may be on opposite sides of the fence on. We need to understand that the real enemy is not the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. The real enemy is not Fox News or CNN, the, the company that's fighting to steal your contract. The, the, the real enemy is not the abortionist or the difficult supervisor or your parents. The real enemy is the devil and his schemes. Friends, we must remember that there is a battle behind all other battles. We must remember that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And, and when we remember that, it will begin to inform how we do love our neighbor, as we talked about last time. When we think about the, the reality of this spiritual battle, it will give us more grace maybe towards others, maybe more grace towards our own self, but more grace towards others. It will inform how we treat people, how we speak to people, how we relate to people, that we will first and foremost see people as image bearers struggling in the flesh and in this world, just like the rest of us, and engaged in a spiritual battle that is fierce. And so we won't get up in, we won't get caught up in things that distract us from the true battle that exists. Because we know that that exists in our relationships and that the conflict is not just about others. It includes our own flesh and, and how we're often tempted to doubt, tempted to fear, tempted towards apathy, a lack of empathy and any other sin that we could think of. There is a spiritual battle at, at work that we're, we're in. It's not one of those wars that you sign up for, right? You, you, you're born into it. That's the nature of this battle. That's the nature of this war that we are in. And we also need to understand the impact of it. This war is powerful. The war we face is powerful. Four times in, the, in a short order here, Paul uses the word stand. Why? He says it in verse 11, 13, and 14. Why? He says that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. The evil day is a day of severe trial. You can, some will say, well, that was a very specific day he was talking about, or it's just the reality of, of living in a cursed and fallen world till Christ returns. But the difficulties we know of this present age will continue to intensify, sometimes ebbing and flowing, but, but we, we know that the battle will intensify, especially as the coming of Christ draws closer and closer. Thus, the intensity of the battle will grow. 
As a result, we are called here to stand firm in the strength of the Lord. We are called as a result to put on the armor of God because we cannot endure these assaults on our own. We face a true, powerful, spiritual enemy. And although Satan is limited, I think sometimes we get this jacked up. We think Satan's somehow kind of co-equal with God and he's just the bad God and God's the good God. That's not true. Satan is a fallen, created being, angelic being that fell. He's, he's created and so he's not omnipotent. He is not omniscient. He doesn't know all things and Satan cannot be everywhere at all times like God. And so he is limited as to what he can do. But listen, he is much more powerful than you. He is much more powerful, he and his host of demons. There's a spiritual battle. Paul is calling us to look to that reality, be aware of that reality. Behind all other conflicts exists this spiritual war. And we're called here to put on the whole armor of God, to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, to not go out into the world thinking that we can just handle it. So that leads me to number two, a call to action. See, the Lord not only makes us aware of this battle, he gives us all the resources we need. And he calls us to put on the whole armor of God. But listen, brothers and sisters, listen, I'm going to walk us through this armor briefly. We could hit one of them each week for a number of weeks, but I just want us to, to walk through and see it all as, as, as one and how they fit together. But listen, you have to put the armor on. So it's a call to action. We need to understand that this calling that we have is, is not a passive responsibility. The picture here is one who is dressed in full battle armor ready to fight. The Lord has equipped us with critical resources that we need, critical equipment that we need so that we can stand, for, stand firm in the strength of his might as this battle continues on so that we can be a distinct people. You see, what the world doesn't understand that, that we've been given with clarity in God's word is that there is indeed a battle and that God has given us right resources in which to face this battle with. The world doesn't understand, first of all, that there's even a battle, and even if they, they the world certainly understands there's conflict, and so it loves conflict, but it doesn't fight with the proper equipment because it doesn't understand the true nature of the battle to begin with. So this is a call to action. The Lord has given us what we need. So I want us to walk through this list of armor and, and be reminded and encouraged, be reminded and encouraged that each of us has a responsibility to access this armor that God in his grace has given us. He's not just left us to be in this world that he said, all right, all right I'm going to save you. I sent Jesus to die for you. You're going to go to heaven when you die, but just do the best you can until you get there. That's not how God works. He gives us everything that we need for life and godliness, Peter says, Second Peter. first piece of equipment that God gives us here in this armor is say a belt of truth he gives us truth but on the whole armor of God and then you notice there in verse 14 stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth 
Some have inferred here that Paul is using the illustration of a Roman soldier. He's using the illustration of a Roman soldier to illustrate his points, and he's kind of walking through the equipment of a Roman soldier. And a belt would have been one of the final things a soldier would put on to keep all the other pieces of the armor intact. It's also likely, though, that Paul had in mind the Old Testament imagery of the divine warrior. And you see that especially in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5, speaking of the Lord, says, Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Either way, the point is clear. Believers are called to fasten on the belt of truth. Truth can be taken here as doctrinal truth or truthfulness in general, and certainly both are connected in some way. However, it seems here that Paul is calling us to live as those who are committed to the truth, that it is the truth of who God is and what he's revealed to us that we wear. We would be able to recognize that which is false because we know that which is true. Brothers and sisters, one of Satan's schemes is to distract and to distort what is true. To distract and to distort. It will encourage us to think about other things or to buy into worldviews that are completely contrary to the reality of what he's revealed. We're going to be challenged and we're going to be pushed in this world, whether it's with our own struggles personally or with our own relationships with others. We're going to be challenged, we're going to be pushed, and the enemy will continue to cast doubt and confusion in our lives. And we need to be prepared by wearing the belt of truth. Satan is a liar and a deceiver, and he uses this method to confuse and to, 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 to encourage us to falsehood. But when we arm ourselves with the truth, we do so so that we can stand. See, then we can face the lies, the tactics that the devil brings our way. We're going to talk about this more in just a moment. This is one of the reasons, the, one of the reasons that we must be regular in the scriptures. Put on the belt of truth. Number two, the breastplate of righteousness. You see that also in verse 14. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Breastplate was a critical piece of armor that the soldier would wear that would protect vital organs during battles. Isaiah 59 verses 16 and 17 also likely provides some background to this reference because according to those verses, God is the divine warrior who puts on righteousness to fight against unrighteousness in order to bring redemption to his people. Therefore, righteousness, or at least the righteousness we possess, is provided for us as a gift of God's grace in the gospel, in the good news of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. And as we receive that, what we see is this righteousness of Jesus is now credited to our account and we're given a new identity. And brothers and sisters, this is so essential in fighting the enemy. Listen, we need regularly to put on the breastplate of righteousness. What it's not saying, understand this, so the righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness is how we gain righteous, 
righteousness with God. How, how do we have a right standing before a holy God? We just sung of holy, holy, holy. God's holy, we aren't. We're sinners. How do we get righteousness? How do we get right with God? We could just say it that way. Simplify it even further. Well, you don't get right with God by just doing the best you can in life. You don't get right with God by somehow just trying to do enough good in the world. You get right with God by understanding that you are a sinner, that you are deserving of God's judgment against your sin, and that you understand that God in his mercy and in his grace sends his son into the world. The father sends the son into the world and Jesus Christ lives a life of perfect righteousness. He never sinned and yet he died on a cross to bear the guilt and the punishment and the burden for our sin so that we can be forgiven and not only just forgiven so that we can be considered righteous because God now credits the righteousness of Jesus to our account, and so he no longer sees you. If you're a Christian, this is good news. If you are a Christian, God no longer sees you as a guilty, condemned sinner worthy of judgment. He sees you as one clothed in the beautiful righteousness of Jesus, forgiven by his grace because he died on the cross for your sin to pardon you once and for all. That is the breastplate we need to put on every day. It's not as if we're putting on, like, saving ourselves every day. That's not what we're saying. This is the, the righteousness that we need because we know that Satan is the great accuser and he will often bring accusations against you, even to cause you to question your position and your place in God's family. But friend, you're standing with the Lord. Listen, you're standing with the Lord is not dependent upon your actions, but upon the completed work of Jesus Christ. In Christ, you are clothed and made complete. In Christ, your sin is no longer held against you. In Christ, you are declared and seen as righteous. And that must be the breastplate that we put on in the battle. It's a breastplate of righteousness, a righteousness given to us from God. See, this is yet another distinction that we have as God's people in this world. Most people depend upon their successes and their efforts and their own wisdom and strength in order to get them through their daily battles. Yet we declare that our only hope in this battle is that which God gives us as a gift of grace. Every arrow of doubt and every arrow of accusation that's fired against you stands no chance when you wear the breastplate of righteousness. It cannot harm you. So friends, for those of you who see yourselves as a failure, those who see despair, those who experience discouragement, fear. Look at your armor. Is that breastplate of righteousness there? Are you, are you clinging to the righteousness of Christ? Are you trying to cling to something else? As those arrows come your way and accusations and doubts and fears as they come your way, is it the righteousness of God you're standing behind? Or are you trying to just do the best you can? Are you trying to suit up yourself?
breastplate of righteousness. You'll die without it. Number three, ready feet or preparedness, verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This concept of shoes is so important in war because you need to move quickly and have stable footing. The Roman soldier would wear a sort of half boot which enabled him to move quickly, march long distances while being protected. I'm convinced if they had Air Jordans back then, Romans would still be ruling the world. Or maybe Chacos, I don't know, but they had some good shoes. And they were able to, to move quickly and to fight ferociously. Likely Paul has, again, in the back of his mind, Isaiah 52, verse 7, which says how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. See, in Isaiah, we see that it's the Lord who brings peace, and those who proclaim the good news are proclaiming that truth that God reigns. For one, we know that our hope is, re is rooted in this peace. But this hope that we enjoy is also a hope for the nations. And one of the ways that we stand against the devil and his schemes is to proclaim the good news that God reigns and that God does indeed save. Listen, when we think about this battle that's waging, our greatest conflict, maybe I should ask it this way. What is your greatest conflict? How would you describe that? See, our, our greatest conflict ultimately is being at enmity with God. We, we've seen that. Romans 5 talks about how we were enemies under his wrath. Enemies of God. You've heard me say this before, that our greatest threat in the world is the fact that God is holy because we aren't. Yet, in a beautiful act of grace and mercy, God sends his son into the world to rescue us, to cleanse us from our unrighteousness and to make peace with us. God is the ultimate peacemaker. We see here, we're called to have shoes, putting on the readiness given us by the gospel of peace. This is what he's talking about, this, this how God has made peace with us. The gospel of peace is the good news that tells you how you can be right with God, how you can no longer be enemies, but you can be family. I think one of the things that we see here too, friends, is that the gospel of peace, the, the fact that we're called to put on these shoes for our feet, having the readiness given to us by the gospel of peace is the fact that the, the fight that we fight is not merely, or the responsibility we have in putting on the armor is not merely one of defense. We're also to go on the offensive. And we do so by declaring the gospel of peace. And one of the things that Paul is getting at here is as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace is that we live with our hope rooted in that gospel, knowing that our peace comes from being right with God and that we are called to be proclaimers of this good news and that we go. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news, Isaiah says. 
We put on the shoes. And so when we see people, we don't see them as our enemy. We see them as sinners in desperate need of being made right with God. We see those people in our lives who may frustrate us or who may just get underneath our skin because of their ideologies or because of whatever it is that, that, that you don't like, and you just see them as the threat when the fact is, is that if they're not in Christ, their greatest conflict is not you. Their greatest conflict is with the Holy God by which you've been given the opportunity and responsibility to share with them how they can be right with God, to make peace in the world by proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Put on those shoes. Next, we're called to bear the shield of faith, verse 16. In some circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Some of y'all sleeping, that's not what it says. Now, in all circumstances, right? In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Shields were, we know, were used as an important means of protection in battle. Soldiers would employ them and they're being attacked, especially if they're having multiple things shot at them. Uh, sometimes the, the arrows would have burning pitch on them and so it was a, a defensive mechanism to, to protect them from the darts of the enemy. In the Old Testament, we know that a shield was often used as a metaphor describing God's power in protecting his own. So here Paul likens faith to a shield that protects when we endure attacks from the enemy in the heat of the battle, the last thing we need to rely upon is our own strength and our own wisdom. We're to take up the shield of faith, which means we depend on the Lord, that the Lord is our confidence, that we are not our confidence. The Lord is our confidence. A book written back in the 1600s by a man named William Grinnell, he wrote a work called The Christian in Complete Armor. The Christian in Complete Armor. I think it was... Um, John Newton, he wrote Amazing Grace. John Newton, great abolitionist in England, wrote Amazing Grace, said of this book, The Christian in Complete Armor, that if there's any other book in the world besides the Bible he would read, it would be that book. Christian in Complete Armor. It's about that big, over a thousand pages written about verses 10 through 20. You think this sermon's long? Christian in Complete Armor. But in that book, he said this about the reality of faith. He says, faith leads the soul to the springhead of the promises. I love that. Faith leads the soul to the springhead of the promises where it may stand with best advantage to take view of their greatness and preciousness. Faith will take you to the springhead of God's promises and let you rest there. Satan's attacks will take various forms, distraction, disunity among God's people, doubting God's promises. Sometimes it will impact entire churches. Other times it will be aimed merely at individuals. His schemes are many, and it is the faith in God's promises and God's presence that helps us to withstand the onslaught of the enemy's attacks. It's such faith that helps us remember that God remains faithful and God remains trustworthy. We don't just sing, great is thy faithfulness for nothing. 
We were trying to help you bear the shield of faith this morning, singing those words. Verse 17 says to put on the helmet of salvation. Once again, back to the imagery of Isaiah 59, verse 17, the divine warrior, the Lord there talks about the helmet of salvation in a way. He talks about how God has planned and secured our salvation. And again, Satan will come along and do everything he can do to distract you, to, to cause you to question and doubt the security that you have in the gospel. As God's people, we know with certainty that God has won salvation for us. So to put on the helmet of salvation means to realize and to appropriate the security that we have in the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ, that we're not dependent upon some other means of protection in this world, but yet we're looking to the divine warrior and the divine savior who has given us all that we need. To wear the helmet means that we trust God and that he has given us all we need through Christ and he will see us home safely. We're also called to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's the one where Paul does explain exactly what he's talking about. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We know that a sword can be both a defensive and an offensive weapon, right? One of the things, it depends on how good you are with it, but you can use it for both. One of the things we need to keep in mind in the battle is that we are not always on the defensive, as I said earlier, but sometimes we are called to go on the offensive. And with the sword, we resist the devil, and with it, we go on the attack against our enemy. Listen, I said this earlier, one of the tactics or methods or schemes that the devil has against us is to distort or twist the truth. Remember what he did with Jesus when he was tempted. He's quoting scripture to Jesus, but he was twisting it or he'd leave just enough out or he would get it out of context or, you know, he would, he would just kind of put his own spin on it and really wasn't accurately quoting the scripture. Although he's quoting scripture, he was quoting it and applying it wrongly. Jesus wasn't buying it. The sword, we do the same. When those tactics to distort and twist the word come against us, we stand ready with the sword of the spirit to say that's not true. Which again, friends, this is why we must spend time reading, studying, meditating, memorizing the scripture. Listen, if you went, let me just say this. If you went this week and you didn't open your Bible one time, You're not ready for this battle. If the first time that you opened the Bible was this morning because I asked you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6 since last Sunday, that's no different than going out into a combat zone where there's a military battle raging and say, oh, I left my gun in the tent. I'm just kind of here. I'm going to dodge, right? I'm fast. Now you're going to be shot up real quick. Brothers and sisters, you cannot live without this treasure of inspired inerrant truth. So often we lay it aside. We need God's word. He's given it to us for that reason. We need to be a word-filled people. We're going to find success against the attacks of the evil one. We must put on the whole 
armor of God, not just bits and pieces here. Oh, I like the breastplate of righteousness. That doesn't require a lot of effort because I'm trusting in the righteousness of Christ, but ah, the sword I may or may not. No, you need it all. He says put on the whole armor, not just the pieces that seem comfortable to you. He's given you the entirety of this armor for your good and for your victory in the midst of this war. And last, but not least, prayer. Prayer, you see, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit. He's, he's, he's doesn't, he's, it doesn't seem that Paul's adding this as an additional weapon, but rather as essential in deploying all other pieces of the armor. As, he's, as if he's gone through each piece, put on this, put on this, take up this, take up that, praying at all times in the Spirit. Samuel Chadwick said this, the one concern of the devil is to keep us from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Several quick things about prayer. Number one, we should pray continually. Pray at all times, at all times. Not something should be occasional or when we really think we might need it, Again, think of troops on the ground in a military conflict. They're maybe hunkered down and they're, they're, they've gotten, maybe they've bit off more than they can chew and so they're having to call in air support now to kind of help them out because they're, they're surrounded. Don't ever think of prayer like that. Don't ever think, I can go into this conflict or situation and God, I'll call on you if I need you. That's not what we're being called to. We're being called to pray at all times. And if anywhere in our lives we fail, it is with these last two things of the sword and prayer. The one concern of the devil is to keep us from praying. Again, to quote William Grinnell from the Christian in Complete Armor, he said, the Christian's armor will rust except it be furbished and scoured in the oil of prayer. Pray continually. Number two, pray dependently. Pray at all times. How? In the Spirit. Since our fight is a spiritual fight, then prayer in the Spirit must be essential. It is the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God who guides, directs, assists, convicts, encourages, gives us all that we need in the midst of the battle. Listen, he even prays for us when we don't know what to pray for. Pray in the Spirit. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Notice he says, with all prayer and supplication, all kinds of different prayers. All kinds. And number three, pray attentively. Continually, dependently, and attentively. Keep alert with all perseverance. It says to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me in his calling to preach the gospel. Be praying with perseverance. There's a sense of urgency there. Remaining aware of your surroundings as you pray and not only be praying for yourself, but to be praying for who? All the saints. Understand that this battle you are in, you're not in it by yourself. There are others, troops alongside of you who are being shot at just as much as you are, who are being accused just as much as you are, who are being caught up in, in, in other battles, not seeing them as spiritual battles, ultimately just as much as you are praying at all times in the spirit with all supplication for all the saints. Listen, stay aware of those around you who are in the same battle with you. 
It's also a good reminder if, you, if, you're, if you're finding yourself at odds with other believers over issues, this is a good place to go and meditate. It's a good place to go and remember, oh, they're being caught up in this spiritual battle just like I am. They're not my enemy. They're my brother or my sister. And we're in a battle together. It's amazing how much frustration can be put aside when you're praying for others, when you're praying for your brothers and your sisters. See, it can be too easy to be preoccupied merely with our own battles and forget about our brother and sister who's fighting as well. So pray for the saints. Pray alert with, with attentiveness. Brothers and sisters, there's so much more we could say about all of this, but listen. I think there are too many believers acting more like Neville Chamberlain than Winston Churchill. They think, oh, all is good. All is well. But the reality, friend, is that we are in a war. One that the world doesn't see, nor is it fitted to fight. But we as God's people know that there is a battle, that there is a war, and by the way, we win because Jesus won the victory for us. And we've been given all the resources needed to fight. So fight we must. Let's just make sure that we're fighting the right enemy while fitted with the right armor. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for calling our attention this morning to the armor of God. Father, I confess there are times that I'm not putting on the armor. I'm not putting on but pieces here and there, and I'm getting caught up in battle and finding it difficult to persevere. Father, we thank you that you have called us to see what you have provided as a gift of your grace. God, would you help us as your people to understand that the war in which we fight is a war that is, that is spiritual ultimately, a war that is so much powerful than, than we think or can imagine. But Father, we rejoice that we are in a war knowing that you are present to provide and that you are present to encourage and equip us with all that we need because the victory has been secured. Father, we thank you. We know the end of the story. We thank you. We've been given what happens. So, Lord, in the midst of that, would you help us persevere with joy and with trust and with putting on the whole armor that you have given us? And forgive us, Father, when we have failed to do so. Forgive us when we have relied too much upon our own strength. Forgive us when we have sought to, to do things in our own wisdom and way. Lord, forgive us when we have bought the lies of the evil one and been caught up in the ways of the world. God, would you help us to stand firm and to put on the whole armor of God that we may go forth into this battle knowing that we have a great divine warrior who fights on our behalf and gives us all we need. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.